You are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZW LP Conroe and 106.1 KZCC LP Conroe and worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. Good afternoon and welcome to The Legal Connection with Tony and Cheryl. Tony Lynn Collins and Cheryl Ellsworth Jahani. We are two Texas licensed attorneys and we are here every Tuesday on 104.5 or 106.1 or you can go to IRLoneStar.com and listen live. Uh, And we are here as a public service to our listeners to talk about legal topics and uh you know we know that comes up a lot you know we've talked about this said it many times at some point in your life you're going to need an attorney even if it's just at the very end unless you die without a will but if you want some type of a will so um we know that it can be overwhelming and expensive uh, expensive which is what we're going to talk about today (laughs) can be expensive today we're going to talk about attorney's fees yeah and it sounds like i was talking to um and I'm going to give a shout out, Phil Farone, uh, an engineer with the, uh, with the Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd gone up there today to get information on um, Old Conroe Road. I wanted to do, uh, I was, um, hopefully I can do an article with uh, an attorney named um, Larry Forster, uh, who is in the Historical Society and stuff. But anyway, he's written a bunch of articles, and he's really into all this stuff. And this is where I was directed to all, learn about. All what stuff? Um uh, the background of the history of Conroe, which I'm, I think it's just intriguing. And so what I was looking for was I was looking for when the bridge was washed out um, over off Old Conroe that connected it to Sergeant Ed Holcomb. And uh, what I learned from him, because he knew some people that were alive back in the day, and he got some information from him, that um, a bunch of bridges got washed out in the uh, mid-30s because there was a big flood. Hmm. And the San Jacinto River ran through, and it washed out the one where Bonnie and Clyde, you know, there's a little, uh, I guess, a folklore about that. And he gave me an article on that um, about how they stayed down there. And right before the shootout, um, where they would die the in Louisiana, mm-hmm. um, they had actually had their car repaired up here in Conroe and were hanging out by this bridge that's really? been washed out. And the bridge is actually still there. It's off 2874 and um, Loop 336. You can actually drive by and see it. And uh, there's hmm. another bridge that you can use now that is an actual bridge over the uh, St. Jacinto West Fork. But... Um, but the the old one's still there, and they were mm-hmm. thinking about. I don't know if they're thinking about what to do with it or not. But I'm going to go look at it. In fact, I don't know if we can. Uh, I have a picture of it in this article. If you can, you'll have to direct me on which camera to focus. This Yours on. would be right here. Okay, this which one. is this one here? Can you see that? Of this one here. Okay, so there's a picture of the the bridge where I don't know. Can I'm looking I, at? Is oh, it there it is, right here? there. It's this one. Okay. Right here, Tony. Right here. Oh, yeah. okay. So there's a picture of the the bridge where Bonnie and Clyde would sit underneath and uh, you know smoke, chew the, cigarettes. Ch- smoke cigarettes and plan their next robbery or whatever they do. <laughs> uh, but that was right where apparently they were. Uh, it still exists. Uh, it's called the old 1910 Trust Bridge. I guess it was built in 1910, and um, it's been. Uh, it's still. You can see it from the highway that's right behind it. Anyway, can I was see? up there. Uh, looking for information because I want to get all the information I can about uh, the history of Old Conroe and 
uh, some other roads that were historically important to our area and try to get historical markers and get them designated as historical areas. And I'm learning all about that. So we'll talk about that in one of our next shows. Okay. Um, but I will give it also a shout out to the um, Heritage Museum that's off I-45. It's just north of mm-hmm. um, Old Conroe. They have got the most interesting things in there a lot of history is that over by that Candyland park yeah in fact it is Candyland park it is fascinating and they've got a lot of old stuff that people have donated and they have like a kids thing where you can be the sheriff for the day and I got one of the badges so that I could wear the sheriff's badge around our can, house can I have that yeah we all need that yes <laughs> and if we go into court we can't uh-huh. the sheriff <laughs> yeah. anyway it's a fascinating place and it's it's not that expensive and if y'all haven't been out there just take some time out they're, they're closed on um Sundays and Mondays, but just has so much history. Mm, that's um, great. So, uh, really worth the time going out there. So anyway, today, attorney's fees. Right. Although that does sound dry, it's really not. If you're, if you owe them, yeah, because like you, the your attorney won't work for you unless you pay them. And attorneys are pretty much known for saying, if you don't pay me by a certain date, certain. Yeah, I'm going to withdraw. Uh, I'm going to withdraw uh-huh. and you're on your own. Right. And it's funny how when you say that, and I've never done it, but I've seen a lot of other attorneys me do it. Me too. Um, it's funny how they suddenly have money in their, uh, when they didn't uh, available to pay you. And then... Um, there's no guarantee how your case is going to turn out if you pay your attorney's fees. And in criminal... Say a, that again, Tony. A lot of people think that if you pay a lot of money, yeah. like, oh, I'll give you $25,000 or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. that, that that's a guarantee that you're going, going to, to win. Uh, get a good outcome. No. If if you did something bad or if you got accused and you didn't do something bad, and there's a lot of work involved. It's just a matter of, of, you know, how much time it's going to take to undo it. And you can do your attorney a lot of good if you do a lot of the research and can prove it not just what i get all the time which infuriates me it's like you you want me to help you with your case but you're trying to tell me about it you need to give me you know something i can hold on to something that's proof something i can make certifiable that i can produce so that the 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 case will be less expensive for you you've done the background work so and you're it, talking about give me something certifiable like some credible yeah, like, like research work, like like uh like documents if mm-hmm. it's a contract case show me where you've paid it before show mm-hmm. me the contract or give me something instead i always get like somehow I can materialize it because I'm an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, um, here, just let me tell you about it. And mm-hmm. then when I finally tell them, look, you're going to have to give me uh, something in date order, something to help me because mm-hmm. otherwise this, I'm going to have to charge you 25000 up front mm-hmm. because I can see where this is going. I'm mm-hmm. going to be doing all the research, which I don't mind doing, and mm-hmm. I'd love to take, take your money. But it's just going to cost them more money. And they don't have the money. Right. That's why they're in a contract dispute because they didn't pay whatever it was. Right. They didn't get what they wanted, and the guy wanted whatever the contract was. Somebody was dissatisfied, so money didn't exchange hands. Mm-hmm. Or a service didn't exchange hands, so the money didn't pay, whatever the case may be. And um, instead I get like a narrative, and it's like, and it's like crazy single space diary type stuff. And it's like, no, this is never going to work. You know, it's like cut to the chase. So I've got to get right down to what we're looking at here. But you need, uh, before I take your case, I need to be comfortable that you even have one. Mm-hmm. And so, so th- that's infuriating when I want to help so badly, but I'm not getting the help I need to go forward with it. So mm-hmm. attorney's fees. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, there, d- d- I guess, we do so many divorce cases where it's women that are not the one that are in control of the pocketbooks. And they're being starved out. And they're being starved out. So and guess they made what? The, they can't afford. And he's got the best attorneys money can buy. Right. And I, they made the mistake of yeah. not doing their homework and not 
necessarily, I don't think you need to put money aside. I do. I do. I mean, credible advice from people is that you need to have at least three months worth of uh, what it would take for you to survive just so you didn't get, don't get stuck. Well, you're preparing at that point. I guess right. if you see it going south, then you need to start like socking mm-hmm. away a little bit of money. Right. And not all of it. That's pretty obvious no. too. Right. But, um, but yeah, if you're preparing, but I would say if you're having a, if you have a, a good yeah, if your marriage is going well, then you wouldn't want to be wasting your time doing that because yeah. why would you do that? Yeah. Um, but always be prepared because you never know. In, in the sense that even if your marriage is going well, um, you still want to be aware of what the other spouse is doing mm-hmm. to the extent that if something were to happen to them, you would know. Well, see, that's a valid thing, too. What if something happens yeah. and you don't would have you, any money who saved Who would up? need to be notified what right. was going on? Mm-hmm. If you have two uh, people working or even not one, but from a standpoint where there may be somebody left out in the lurch, even if it's a family member, you should know if there's a safety deposit box or right. where the bank accounts are, right. where the money is. Mm-hmm. Um, what if someone gets hit in the head and mm-hmm. they lose their mind? Yeah. Or, or, or what if what if they've got, uh, I, I guess it's the same scenario where there's a sudden amnesia or they're just gone. You don't yeah. even know where to look. Well, somebody could fall and hit their head. Or and then there's the bad side. What if they really are cheating and they have a second family or a third family like the right. rich Hunt family did in Dallas way back in the day where he had a second family. He had all these kids from the second family. He had all the kids from the lady he was married to because they were Catholic and didn't want to divorce. And the the first lady was in La La Land. She was doing all these charity benefits and stuff and just wasn't paying attention. And the, the second one was all too happy to have a million kids with this guy. Sure. And it ends up that when he died, the first and the second family met each other. Right. And there was the fight to, of all fights mm-hmm. with, um, I can't remember how it turned out, but the second family ended up getting quite a bit of money, mm-hmm. like all those kids. They, they do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they're prolific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the guys that are bad are prolific. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I want to say this just to throw it out there. Um, if you're that woman that doesn't have the money to pay an attorney and your husband has filed for divorce and you don't know what to do because suddenly you've been cut off and you don't have access to the funds. Right. Um, then you come to your good friend who you've been friends with for a while who's an attorney and say, what do I do? You're going to help me, right? It's like. I have got a million other things to do, and it's the right thing to do to help you. But what have you done to help yourself, and why are you in a predicament where where you didn't see this coming? Right. I mean, cer- certainly there were some signs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the next wor- thing that comes out of their mouth is um, uh, you may not be the first person they've approached. They have a lot of attorney friends, mm-hmm. and they've gone through those attorney friends, and they haven't paid them. And they're saying, well, they could get attorney's fees from my husband. Yeah, you can, just like in the Michael Brown case. Um, there's a lot of money involved out there. We're talking millions of dollars. You should, that, uh, the, the wife should get her attorney's fee paid for. She was the innocent victim of somebody that, you know, uh, did her wrong. Or even in the Michael Brown case, she wasn't an innocent victim. She was right. having an affair with that baseball player. Mm-hmm. What was his, Bagwell? Jason was, Bagwell. Yeah, is it? I can't, I can't remember. I the think one. it was Jason Bagwell, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, it was, what's it his was. first name? Jeff, Jeff, Jason, Jeff, Jeff Bagwell, Bagwell, yeah, yeah. Jason, where is your Astros? I said Jeff, I'm not, okay. You said Jason about four times. 
And then Jeff the last time. We have it on recording. Yeah. <laughs> Replay. <laughs> so she was bad. She was cheating on she him. She was. And he may not have been the best guy was, in the world, but he, he wanted to stay married and uh, probably just keep his, his empire all intact. But um, He was very nice to her, too, though, at the yeah, end. Yeah, he gave her a lot of stuff. Dr. But Brown. the bottom line was uh, she did get all of her attorney's fees paid and some, and then they took advantage of her, the attorneys, knowing that all their they fees did. were going to get paid. Right. So it's kind of all over the board. But the general... Uh, the, the typical situation is you're going to have uh, not a gazillion dollars, maybe somebody that's got, you know, $400,000 house in the woodlands, if that. Um, you, you may have somebody that doesn't have any property at all. It's just somebody that's got a lot of kids, and suddenly they're not going to have a place to live because the husband is mad and is left to go with the gal he met at the bar that is nicer to him because she wasn't very being very nice because she's got three kids and it's difficult raising three kids and right. not having any help with your cheating husband mm-hmm. and or at least your perceived cheating husband who wasn't cheating until you were mean and then he's had to cheat because he wanted some relief. It's all over the place. Um, <laughs> it's really difficult in that last situation to get your attorney's fees because there's not enough to go around. So what do you do? Well, you save the three months in advance if you see it coming, mm-hmm. but but don't go to your attorney saying, well, well, certainly you can get attorney's fees for me. No, it's well, simply and, not and that easy. You know, they can try to get interim attorney's fees, and I've done that before, too, and a lot of times you don't get them. Sometimes you get them, yeah, and sometimes, sometimes you, you don't. don't. And you can ask, and you can, uh, if you've got three kids and you're a stay-at-home mom, and they're all babies, and your husband's making a nice living, and he just leaves one day, mm-hmm. the odds of you getting attorney's fees to at least defend yourself are higher. But not guaranteed, because what if he's self-employed and he's got a bunch of accounts and you don't know where they're at, and exactly. he's saying he doesn't have any money. And he knows how to hide it, you know, what he does have. They all know how to hide their I money. Know, this know. is They may have done this before. More yeah. than likely, you're not the first wife. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, that's the first thing, is attorney's fees in a divorce situation are not guaranteed and they're not easy to get that's so true tony and you know it's funny because all the clients sit around and talk to each other and then they talk to other attorneys that are not representing them Mm -hmm. and they're just convinced oh yeah what's wrong why didn't they get those interim attorney's fees why Mm -hmm. didn't they do Mm -hmm. this why didn't they do that and you're the bad guy not being able to get them and the truth of the matter is it's not even a lot of times in your control and i'm going to add this too something i found out that i didn't know how to do before um Okay, let's say you're in a court and um, you're not getting the best rulings, particularly in family courts. Right. Uh, and for no reason. You don't understand why things aren't going your way because uh, the other spouse is a, you know, a, a certifiable, proven drug addict, you know, criminal, credit card abuse. And suddenly you don't have, you're the good parent and you don't have custody of the kids. Why is this other parent getting all of the breaks and you're not? Well, a lot of times it has to do with campaign contributions. And um, it's because, and many, if you look, I didn't know how to do this until now. I'm going to tell you how to do it if you didn't know. Um, you can actually go look to see who has contributed to a judicial campaign. Now, federal judges are appointed, so you don't have to worry about that. And that's why a lot of cases um, get uh that's why the United States Supreme Court will take a, a land case that uh, involves the city or a county because there's so much bias involved that they'll let you go directly to the U.S. Supreme Court with a case like that when there's, uh, there's a lot of restrictions to it. But it's unusual to have a direct case, direct jurisdiction to the United States Supreme Court or a federal court unless you've got a federal question. It's over $75,000 yeah. in controversy or, or, or something else. There's some law that allows you a to go state in there. to state, dual state parties. But a lot of times because of bias, you can get it taken at a higher court and out of the district courts. And the bias may be because 
everybody's really close friends because they've been around for so long in the same community. Right. And that, that really is a lot in JP court, but it applies in a smaller county like Montgomery. And it also applies in Harris with the family courts, even mm-hmm. though there's eight different courts, mm-hmm. might be nine now, because you've got attorneys who've been practicing for a long time. They've gone to school with the judges who are elected, who are paying high campaign contributions through either a, a PAC or, or, or on their own. And, if you suspect that and you believe that you need to remove your case from this court because there's a, such a strong bias, mm-hmm. maybe the um, the uh, the judge is is a brother-in-law to the the attorney or they're good friends with the opposing counsel. Mm-hmm. Um, at a minimum, if you don't know that, you can go to um, the Texas Ethics Commission. If you Google it, you can actually get to their site. And you have to, it's kind of a weird way to do it, but you get to their site, and then you have to put in the judge's name, and then you get an, a filer ID. And it's the only way to do it. It's the only way I've found to do it. And you get the filer ID, and then you go to an advanced search, and you put that filer ID number in there. That's the filer ID for the judge? For the judge, right. Okay. And then you can look at everybody that's contributed to their campaign as far back as you want to go. Hmm. You can limit it to one year or you can and you can see campaign contributions and you can see where there may be a bias. And we were just in a trial last week. You joined in and you watched a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea to do this, but my client, who is pretty savvy about this, um, said uh, do you know that opposing counsel was the, was the third highest campaign contribution to that judge? She goes, that, no wonder we were getting bad rulings. Blah, blah, blah. I, I didn't, I mean, there were some rulings that I questioned, but they weren't as bad as some of the ones I've got in other courts where it was just a slam dunk bad, I mean, absolutely improper. There wasn't factual sufficiency or legal sufficiency for the judge to be ruling that way. Um, she looked it all up and she was right there what there may have been a really strong bias so if you question the 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 rulings that you're getting um i guess one place that might give you some relief if and you want to bring it to your attorney's attention or your attorney can look it up if you ask them i think i might do it in the future it was kind of an interesting list you can go see who has made campaign contributions and the reason that uh it even came up is because i used to intern for a family court judge you know 20 years ago and she told me something in sort of the back you know room when I was going to do work and just kind of chit chat with her I don't even think she's alive anymore um she would look at who contributed to her campaign when she was kind of on the fence on which way she was going to rule and sometimes and it was really bad I mean I couldn't believe she was telling me this but she was telling me not directly but I knew what she was saying mm-hmm. she was like let's go see if they made a, 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 a would you go look up she would tell me could you go look up she had a different place we looked it was like manual back then um, go see if they made a campaign contribution to me and she really looked at that before she made a ruling and that gave me a lot of pause that attorney that judges actually do look at that hmm. so uh, here's the the word of uh, words of wisdom is um if you um feel like you need to um you, you really think you have an important case and you know what court you're in make a campaign contribution bad but apparently that's what a lot of judges i, I don't think that's bad i think if everybody does it everybody should do it that's yeah. kind of what i think and then the second thing is if um if you wanted to just go look to see if your opposing counsel has. Because I had a really, really good friend of mine who used to be a judge, and he, he had told me a joke, and I can't remember the joke exactly, but the gist of it was um, they sat before the judge, and the judge was saying, hey, I need to have a little conference with y'all. And then he goes, I want to tell you about this. You know, opposing counsel has made a $5,000 campaign contribution to me. And then the other one was like, and then he turns around and him, and he goes, and yours is only 3000 so I think you need to, instead of saying you both get your money back, he said you need to, y'all need to up the ante. 
because that's who's going to win. And that wasn't how the joke went, but that was kind of how it was. But oh, so the judge didn't say that this was a joke. It was a joke. So so they go to the Texas Ethics Commission? Yeah, Texas, it, it's WWW Texas Ethics Commission. If you just Google Texas Ethics Commission, mm-hmm. and you can actually, um, if you, it'll give you a screen, and it tells you advanced search or simple search. Simple search is the one you have to go to first because it gives you the filer ID. And then you have to go to advanced search and put it in there, and it gives you more options. If you only go to simple search, you're only going to get the money they expended and some various other things. And the, uh, the thing that really made me look at this was I had a really good friend. Well, okay, let me take that back. She wasn't a dear friend of mine, but she was somebody that I remembered being in class with and talking with occasionally. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a good friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she, um, her name, and I, it's in the paper, so I can use her name. Her name is um, Judge um, Smoots Hogan Thomas. And she is, I think, think the judge in the 125th in Harris County and she was very recently indicted on campaign fraud and apparently she used uh, campaign funds to pay her mortgage and some bills and to keep her kids some of her kids Catholic school tuition and various other things and she was indicted on it and then it it was articles in the paper on Friday and it said that she um she uh, her attorney was like, well, she'll just get a slap on the wrist. You know, it'll be a deferred. But, you know, even a deferred, mm-hmm. a deferred is going to be, if you have any professional license, it's still a guilty plea, even if it doesn't stay on your record. And it may, your license may get pulled. But what was sad was it said she had cancer, and so she was out on medical leave. So was, all kind of stuff was just kind of coming down on her about that. Well, and, there was that judge that uh, got caught taking cancer paint contributions in Harris County what a month and a half ago and they he was putting like cash rolled up in a shoebox remember that no, I don't remember that mm-hmm. what's going on in Harris County I don't know and I don't remember the guy's name but it was pretty sad another girl that I knew pretty well she'd handled uh, she's a criminal defense attorney and I'd work with her and her she was in the paper too so I can talk about it, it was in the paper on Friday it's like all this stuff all going on at once like the devil was real I was praying the St. Michael's prayer all over the place thinking what is going on because this happened way a while back and they're just now not getting catching you know it's catching up with them but this other girl um her name was um um, Miss Exley, I can't remember her first name, but I know her by face because I see her all the time. Uh, really, very um, uh, trustworthy. Um, somebody that you knew would never go, you know, astray. And but apparently, um, she wanted to win some cases in Fort Bend County, and she paid the. Um, she got some informants to say that they heard a confession, and it was these were capital murder cases, and. Apparently, they really didn't, and she got them to say it for uh, for not giving them uh, the benefit of lowering their their the time that they were in jail, but but writing the parole boards, giving them uh, asking that they and they all got you yeah, know for parole twenty five percent time based on what they did have before, and so they all got this benefit by literally testifying under oath that they'd heard a confession, and that came out and. She just said she didn't remember, and but these people said it did happen, and I think they're actually going to give one guy a new trial. Uh, they didn't give another guy a new trial. They said that what they heard wasn't what the the the, the jailhouse admission, you know, hearsay, or, mm-hmm. or it wasn't hearsay. They actually said it, right. it wasn't it wasn't it didn't give the error. It wasn't material error, but in one case it may have been. So I wasn't following it that closely. But this is another girl that uh, that I knew that to speak with her, she was like 
there was no way she'd ever do anything wrong, and then suddenly she was. And so, um, one, so I guess the only thing you can go back to is one, this girl really wanted to win the case, and she didn't think it was that big of a deal to bolster it that way, which it really is a big deal. And, um, and she's in trouble for it now. And she got her license was suspended for three months because of it. Uh, and then, the, and then the Harris County prosecutors were mad because they said, uh, and the criminal defense group were mad because they said that's a slap on the wrist. That was really, really bad that she went and she got up, she basically created evidence mm -hmm. uh, and she didn't disclose it. And she actually, you know, it, she made it up. <laughs> is what it, the paper how the paper discussed it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm just saying what the paper said. Right. Was wrong. I they like they are guy. sometimes. Yeah. And that's what's terrible too is that you hear all these things and you're like, oh, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. And a lot of times I wonder how much truth there is to it. But anyway, we were talking about attorney's fees, but it goes to mm -hmm. the looking at what I don't even know how we got to the ethics board except for it came up. And it, it went towards... You were talking about looking up judges and campaign yeah, but contributions. but it had to do with attorney's fees, too. Oh, because you can't always get your attorney's fees mm -hmm. you can uh, try. from the judge. But it could be that the opposing counsel has made a higher campaign contribution because they've got the money. Mm -hmm. And that may be why you're getting poured out. Because the, 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 remember, people go into a marriage with all the good, the best of intentions. And it's usually not one person's bad or one person's good. There's usually a little bit of both going on there mm -hmm. and, and so we don't know what's going on and why this woman is in the situation she's in or could be the man but more than more often than not it's the woman that doesn't have the money that well, that's true saying, mm -hmm. I please help me do. Mm -hmm. and then you've got to go forward and get the but i guess to to make this clear it, it's not a a if you ask for attorney's fees if you move for attorney's fees it's, I would say it's a 50-50 chance you'll get them. Mm -hmm. The problem is that you're asking an attorney like us, if you're mm -hmm. the one that doesn't have the money, to free of charge because you can't pay them to go and ask for this. And then once you sign into that case, you're locked in. That's true. And you're not getting paid. And if you do enough of those, mm -hmm. um, you just want to, to not even practice law anymore, just you know, become a nun you know, somewhere. In well, the problem Nigeria. is, is that uh, going to these attorneys fees, if you're if you're doing a case and you're not getting attorneys fees, mm -hmm. you've got to take another case so you can get paid because, mm -hmm. hey, guess what? Attorneys have car payments and house payments and need to eat food and all <laughs> and of that, too. that are wondering why you're not getting paid and you're working 24 seven. Right. Exactly. And so then if that turns into the second case you take, mm -hmm. you're getting paid half your attorney's fees. You got to take another case on. And then you're you're not doing the, the, the best job you could do if you've got and that's what happens to a lot of attorneys that they they suddenly don't have the funds to to stay afloat because they've taken on too much. Mm -hmm. And you see that in the bar journal all the time. In fact, you could just Google uh, uh, attorney suspensions and it's always some little amount. I know it's some tiny it's little amount that should never. In fact, I'm getting ready to do a mediation for a, a divorce uh, on a case with an attorney that was disbarred. And this, we're talking. This now, was, that's the client or you're, that's the, opposing the, the, counsel? The mediator was disbarred. Oh. But she has to find another way to make money now. Mm -hmm. But the reason she was disbarred was because she, uh, you, could t you could read between the lines, she took on too many cases. She uh, didn't, she made a mistake on one. And then it, the, the case fell apart because of one real small case. It was a, she missed a deadline. And then she couldn't refund the money. And it was like a real small refund. But she did it. And it happened like on three different cases. But if you've got a really big workload, mm. she got disbarred last year. Oh, gosh. And, it was, and she's a really a go-getter. But 
it's really easy to lose track of what you're doing. And so what we do, it makes it so, at least what I do, makes me almost, you know, disbar proof because I don't, you know, I don't take cases where, you know, I try to do the most cases I can where I'm not charging unless they can afford to pay it. Mm-hmm. And then you take contingency cases where you'll get paid by the other side. And then that's why we're doing attorney's fees today because right. you're due the attorney's fees if the other side doesn't want to pay them. And so they 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 keep they they hold it up on appeal and in court forever so you can't get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, or in another case that we'd done, I'd done like four or five years ago, when we were due the attorney's fees and we knew they had it in assets, they declared bankruptcy so you couldn't get the fees. And then you've got to go to bankruptcy court to get the fees. And then that's you know, it, you're going to be on appeals in bankruptcy court forever, which we're going to get those. Mm-hmm. It's just how patient can you be, mm-hmm. you know, to wait for your fee- fees. So that all goes back down to what we were actually talking about today, and that is um, attorney fees. When can you get them legitimately mm-hmm. and, and what you have to do to get them? Mm-hmm. So what do you have for us on that? Well, I have uh, Civil Practices and Remedies Code, uh, Chapter 38, and it's about attorney's fees Mm -hmm. and it's about a recovery of attorney's fees Mm -hmm. so uh, chapter 38 a person may recover reasonable attorney's fees from an individual or corporation in addition to the amount of a valid claim and cost if the claim is for rendered services performed labor furnished material freight or express overcharges lost or damaged freight or express uh, killed or injured stock (laughs) a sworn account or an oral or written contract. And I see a lot of these interventions for attorney's fees on a sworn account yes. uh, and an oral written contract. You see them contract. on the credit card debt all the time. And that's what <coughs> they try to scare you into. Um, the credit card companies are usually, uh, you see them in bulk, and they're usually handled by one credit card collecting company. There's like three or four of them out there. If you haven't paid your $25,000 in credit card fees and you have 5,000 of them, um, which is also kind of, a, uh, I think, a, a fraud. A, a, a really, uh, a girl that was like the most popular girl in our high school, uh, I don't know what made me look it up, but she had declared bankruptcy a few uh, years ago. And I, you know, because it's all public record, I looked it up and I thought, wow, is she declaring bankruptcy? I mean, she had this, you know, life that was to die for. She was gorgeous. She came from a good family and all that stuff. Well, ends up that she also lived over her means and she got divorced a few times. And she had... Four, over $400,000 in credit card debt. Wow. She had so many credit cards that she, were, were approved, and she ran all of them up to the max and then declared Chapter 7 bankruptcy, and they all got forgiven. So basically, she got away with theft. Mm-hmm. She charged up $400,000 in t- I, I couldn't believe she kept getting cards. But um, hmm. but she got, that's not right Mm-mm. to do that, but that's what happened. Well, credit card companies will come after you, and they will get their attorney's fees, and that was part of her deal was they had sued her and were successful in getting that, and she didn't want them coming after the assets she just purchased with all those credit cards. So uh, they get the fees on them. But what, the ones that are listed in the attorney's fee section of this Texas uh, Practice and Remedies Code, mm-hmm. Texas Civil Practice and Remedies Code, um, services rendered attorney's fees. You mm-hmm. know, that's like your car shop places. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should get those. Labor performed, same kind of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, materials furnished um you know you have to look at it those are all usually going to be under contract though which is the last one that you mentioned Mm -hmm. if you've got a contract it's a written contract and an oral one if you can prove it you're going to get your attorney's fees if you sue for your payment under that um lost and damaged freight express i don't see that that often that's not Mm -mm. something i've ever handled yeah uh killed or injured livestock maybe out in kerrville or in the country i've never seen that i guess Mm -hmm. I guess if somehow your livestock got killed, I, I don't know. I have an example for that since I've not d- done it. Yeah. But um, 
I don't know. I, I want to go to maybe your 4-H if your neighbor got mad and sh- your dog got shot. I mean, I don't know. that's not really a contract, but I guess you could, it could fall under that. Yeah. Um, I don't know what overcharges is for uh, that. But sworn account, contract is a really big one. Uh, services rendered labor. But the big, big one is contract that's in your contract. And the other one is in the um, Civil Practice and Remedies Code that is a really, really big one is declaratory judgment. When your attorney files a, a claim for you where you're asking the court to declare something, um, many times attorneys will file that claim just in, just even if it's really not something that should be declared because they're trying to get the attorney's fees and the court to say, no, that's not, that's, this is not something that you should get on declaratory judgment, so you're not going to get it. But if you have a contract, uh, earnest money contract uh, to get your car fixed, which you always want to have something in writing if possible, flooring, all that stuff, then you want to um, almost always it's going to have a provision in there where your attorney's fees will be, the winner, the prevailing part will get their attorney's fees paid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, the other thing is, is um, and it made me think about uh, probate. Uh, that's another one where it, that wasn't mentioned in here, but Mm-mm. just another example. If you are the independent executor of an estate and you have to sue one of the, um, uh, I guess, alleged heirs because someone's suing the estate because they say that they are an heir or uh, like our trust, uh, a lot uh, if, if, if the one that we recently had where one of the heirs uh, created a phony trust so that he could say the trust owns the estate. Right. Well, because the independent executor had to protect the uh, the estates, um, I guess, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Fun. Uh, not character, but... Uh, uh, to, to protect the estate, the, the assets of the estate, mm-hmm. he'll get all of those back. The estate pays. Uh, the, the bad thing about that is if the estate is paying, that means that now the estate had to to defend that case. Who won in that? The attorneys all won because there may not be any asset base left in the estate if the attorney has to get paid from the estate. So he had $100,000. You fought off somebody that said that they're they're a claimant in the estate or the trust or whatever, and it was a hundred thousand dollars in attorney's fees. Who wins? The attorneys won. So you have to kind of pick and choose your battles on that because just like in any other case where there's attorneys involved, divorce is another great example. The attorneys may win and the parties get nothing. So you have to decide and. and we always say this, and tell me what that Bible verse is again. Where, oh, uh, <laughs> are there walking? Agree with your enemy along the way, uh, lest when you get to the court, basically, uh, you get turned over to the judge until you and locked up until you have to pay in full. And I think that's in Thessalonians. Uh, yeah, so it would be Paul, right? Paul's writing mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. and he must have had divine intervention to know that that's so true. Yeah. That don't be all you know puffy. That you you're going to win, and that you're because, absolutely right. Because if if, uh, if it's principled and you have plenty of money, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But if it's, uh, and, but if it's not, if it's principled and and you know you're going to win, that's another. Or, or if you've got a really good chance, or if you're willing to take the risk. But you have to look at this like attorneys are your friend, but a lot of times the attorney's not your friend. The attorney is. And it, it could be that you really don't have a choice. You've got to have an attorney because you don't know how to navigate around the judicial system. But um, if it's JP Court, 
you don't necessarily need an attorney for JP Court. They're set mm-hmm. for people to, like the People's Court, to go in there and fight their own themselves. battles. Mm-hmm. You may have some legal questions, but more likely than not, if you're in JP Court or an eviction, they've seen it all. The, mm-hmm. the judges have seen it all. Yeah. You can pretty much go in there and uh, if you've on the right side, and uh, they're pretty fair. Mm-hmm. I would say that I, the few times I've been in JP Court, I haven't walked away thinking that I got a raw deal. Uh, you're not happy if you lose, but right. but there's also something that you may not have known going into it. So uh, anyway, JP Court people, you don't need an attorney. Don't waste your money on that because more than likely, your the attorney is going to get the money. And if you want someone to do it for free, you may be using your attorney's time that might be better expended somewhere else and making that attorney that you asked for a favor from completely insane. Uh, and we're already insane. So. Um, <laughs> Well, so we have under the CPRC, Civil Practice and Remedies Code, the procedure for recovery of attorney's fees, Mm -hmm. okay? And so it says it's in uh, Chapter 38, Section 002. It Mm -hmm. says to recover attorney's fees under this chapter, Mm -hmm. so it's all that stuff you just laid out, Mm -hmm. contracts, sworn account, Mm -hmm. killed or injured livestock, Mm -hmm. the claimant must be represented by an attorney. Right, to get an attorney's fees. Mm-hmm. The second thing is the claimant must present the claim to opposing party or a duly authorized agent of opposing party. Right. And it has to be in your, it has to be in your petition. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. three, payment for the just amount owed must not have been tendered before the expiration of the 30th day after the claim is presented. Let's say that again. Payment for the just amount owed mm-hmm. must not have been tendered before the expiration of the 30th day after the claim is presented. It makes no sense to me. That makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, I guess I read that and I thought it was saying that you've got to present it 30 days before the claim expires, but that's not what it's saying uh, at all. All I know is that uh, attorney's fees, if they're presented to the court um, and they're properly presented and they're necessary and reasonable, um, and, and the judge grants them, or if you haven't stipulated to them, they're going to get paid. Yeah. So, and, and whether it's a contingency and you your attorneys do them, or whether um, you've been paying your attorney all along, I'll have to look into find out in the legislature, you know, the legislative intent, why that's even in there. But I do know that you absolutely have to request them um, in your petition, whether it be JP court or whatever, and there has to be a basis for them the ones that we just went over in the contract or whatever, and they have to be reasonable and necessary, and there's a way to do it. And um, what a lot of attorneys have done in the past is just said to the court, um, I want to stipulate to these are, uh, they tell the judge at the end of the, the case, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to make, put my, into the record, because attorneys are usually always their own expert. You always see an attorney listed as an expert because mm-hmm. of the expert on their own fees. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then they'll tell the judge, well, these are reasonable deaths. This is what I charge per hour. This is how many hours I did. And it's pretty simple. But it's a little bit more detailed than that now because it's the recent Supreme Court cases. And um, I will say this, um, that there's a way to get your attorney's fees on like summary judgment by putting an app. You can submit an affidavit uh, within a reasonable amount of time with the reasonable attorney's fees. And if you submit the affidavit and it's not objected to within 30 days of this filing, if it's done in the right format, pursuant to the Texas Practice and Remedy Code. And, and um, uh, I, I, there's two different places you look to make sure you've got the proper affidavit. But if it's done, it's not objected to, then you automatically get those attorney's fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, because On that, summary because, judgment? Because it's, I say that you automatically get them. They are deemed to be um, reasonable and reasonable necessary, and necessary uh, and because you've there had not been an objection within the time that's set out in the statute. And I had a... Um, 
I had a court rule against me on that, which that makes that's reversible error. If the trial court does not rule in accordance with the law, then what is your only remedy? The only thing that you can do is to appeal. Mm-hmm. You can go to the opposing counsel and say, look, I'm going to appeal. This costs cost a lot of money. I'm going to win on appeal because blah, blah, blah. Or, um, or, you know, you actually show them the law. The opposing counsel usually doesn't give you that much respect, I would say, mm-hmm. because they're really representing their client. Mm-hmm. And I will say this. A lot of attorneys are pompous, mm-hmm. and they believe they know it all. But a lot of them are. A lot of them are willing to listen. If you sit down and you're just having a normal conversation with them, then you can tell them, look, um, here's – just having a conversation, here's where I'm going with this. So you're not hiding the ball. Um, sometimes you know the person you're dealing with and you want to hide the ball because you know they're going to try to find some you know, way to manipulate around it. But if you're dealing with somebody you've worked with before and they're fair attorneys, you can say, here's the deal. I've got this. I don't want to appeal, but this was denied. These are reasonable, and f- you know, fair and reasonable attorney's fees. Um, I've, you didn't object to it, so what do you want to do about this? And then they'll be like, they'll try to, they'll still protect their client. Well, they don't have the money to pay you or... You know what? Or I'm doing the whatever it may be. At least you've been honest with them. But um, in April of 2019, there was a uh, a case that came out in the Supreme Court, and it was a um, it was in Michelle. Uh, it's how, how do I put this? I'll just read it. it says, they say it much better than I do. Um, entry fee entries fee award fee award factors fee calculation method. Uh, fee entitlement, fee issues on appeal, fee jurisdiction, fee requests, fee shifting, um, hourly rates, hourly billing, lodestar, multiplier, prevailing party issues, and unpaid fees. That's all what goes into determining uh, whether or not you can get your attorney's fees uh, if they're fair or if you're going to win them on appeal, which means you really have to take care of it in trial court because anything you don't take care of trial court that's not on the record, you have not preserved error for appeal. Okay, so we're still docking trial court. Mm -hmm. And it goes by really fast. You're in trial court and it's really easy to slip up on this because it's just you're in the moment. Mm-hmm. But no, you need to be taking care of business. Um, a recent law, um, uh, a, a recent law, 360 story by Michelle Cassidy, Texas justices clarify evidence needed for attorney's fees, reports that the Texas Supreme Court clarified what evidence lawyers must prevent, present to support their claims for attorney's fees and costs, saying that an $800,000 fee request in a Dialysis Center lease dispute was too general. And um, I'm going to paraphrase before I read all this stuff, but the bottom line is if um, what, what attorneys were doing and if an attorney does this and you see it, if you you don't want to do it yourself, but if you're if you're a client and you're witnessing this, um, they can't just go in and say, I had you know, 360 hours of work and uh, it was reasonable and necessary and I charge 350 an hour and that's the reasonable rate that's, you know, for this, you know, type of uh, expertise that I have in this mm-hmm. particular field mm-hmm. and, and so my, my total fees were this. That's not going to cut it anymore. You, those will get tossed out in your attorney's fees. And attorney's fees, a lot of times, is the bulk the of the thing. cost of the estate. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your total award may be you know, um, $25,000 or $10,000, but the attorney's fees might be 250000 because you're fighting over something dumb mm-hmm. or you didn't think it was dumb, but you certainly didn't think you were going to lose, and now you're stuck with two and a half, you know, quarter million dollars worth of attorney's fees, all right? Um, now what happens is you've got to do, the attorney has to be much more specific. Um, in, in this particular case, a private dialysis center affiliated with the University of Texas Southwestern Medical School um, didn't present specific enough evidence to support its attorney fee request after the clinic won a lease dispute with landlord Warmos Venture. And the court remanded the case 
Uh, the court also remanded a second fee dispute in Barnett versus Shiro, which I've read these cases and it's been a while, to a lower court for reconsideration under its Romos ruling. And Romos is spelled R-O-H-R-M-O-O-S. In the decision, the court sought to dispel what it said was confusion on the part of the lawyers and the courts about the two methods of calculating fees, the Arthur Anderson method and the Lodestar method. It said that the Lodestar method of calculating fees was never intended to be a separate test or method from the eight factors set forth in a 1997 ruling in Arthur Anderson. Um, uh, I would just say this. Lodestar is when you're doing the calculations hourly, whereas the Arthur Anderson method is a different method, and both could be used. Mm-hmm. But now what they've come down to in this, and I'll read a little bit further, but I don't want to run out of time, is you've got to be very specific. You've got to say, this many hours... Uh, on, th- on these dates, I prepared the petition. I spent this many hours on it. This is what I charge per hour. And even if you don't read each line item, you can present it to the court. You can say, and I've there's a certified copy of my billing that uh, asserts you know, what my fees were. There has to be something in the record that's specific to what you were doing and how much you charge per hour and with your resume, with your background, to be able to support what fees you're looking for. It can't just be a general one. And if you don't want to sit out there and read it into the record, then you're going to have to present it in a certified, uh, you know, in a proper affidavit format with what you did on what days. Otherwise, it's not, you're going to... Your attorney's fees are going to be, you'll have to, you can only look to your client, even though you had a winning case where it should have been paid by the other party. Now, um, the starting point for, um, instead of, instead, Lodestar was developed as a shorthand version of the Anderson factors. Um, And that's such a weird thing. I never knew what Lodestar was. Uh, I just knew that I needed to be specific about my attorney's fees. Um, The starting point for calculating fees is is determining the reasonable fees worked, multiplied by the reasonable hourly rate, Mm -hmm. and its burden... And it's the burden of the party seeking those fees to prove up the request. So exactly what I was telling you. It's you determining the reasonable hours worked and the reasonable hourly rate based on your background and what the type of case it was. Um, and it's the burden of you, if you've done that, to prove up those for the court or you're not going to get them, even if you win. The Lodestar method arrives at the fee amount by multiplying the number of hours spent working on the case by a reasonable hourly fee. Uh, the Arthur Anderson method requires a court to consider eight factors in awarding fees, including time and labor, how difficult a case is, what a customary rate, customary rate is, the results obtained, and the skill of the attorney. Um, in the Rumo's case, Rose case, um, the UT attorney Wade Howard sought eight hundred thousand dollars in fees plus conditional fees for an appeal. Howard testified that his hourly rate is $430 an hour and that the number of hours spent on the case was between 750 and 1,000 hours. That's not, not that many. Mm-hmm. Um, while that would mean his fees were between 300 and 400,000, he says fees were closer to or exceeded 800,000 in this case because the discovery and the deposition process was so intensive, which just drives me bats because a lot of times the opposing counsel wants depositions, you know, out the wazoo and mm-hmm. it's completely unnecessary, but they're doing it to build their fees, right. not to collect information. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the court where they paid all of the, you know, the judge's background, uh, you know, their campaign fees and they and they get, when they move to compel them, they get them and they're simply not necessary, but they're entitled to a deposition through discovery. But is that the, is that the most fair economic way to do it you shouldn't be right out of the chute uh they shouldn't be requesting depositions when 
the first thing they should be doing is asking for written discovery mm-hmm. and maybe deposition on written questions because they're putting out somebody that may not be a party. A witness is having to take time off that's not getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. They may not be an expert. They're not hired. They're not even paid by the hour. They're just somebody that was a neighbor or another doctor, somebody that was in the operating room or mm-hmm. somebody that was at the bank, and they're having to take full time out for a deposition that's being paid for by you know the other side. So I, I'm, I'm not... A, a, a proponent for a deposition. A big fan, I know. When the, when the system is being abused mm-hmm. uh, just for attorney's fees. You, mm-hmm. know, you can see through that a lot of times. Anyway, the Texas Supreme Court wrote, it understood Howard's argument that the actions of the opposing counsel caused the cost of litigation to increase. However, true, however true this may be, Howard's justification for why his fees should be 100000 searching through millions of emails and reviewing hundreds of thousands of papers and discovery more than 40 depositions taken and 40, a 40 page motion for the summary judgment is too general. And the requested fees were, uh, it's, it's too general to establish that the requested fees were reasonable and necessary. The high court wrote, okay, so without, de- and, and they wrote, without detail about the work done, how much time was spent on the task and how he arrived at the $800,000 sum. Howard's testimony lacks the substance required to uphold a fee award. Howard told Law 360, and this was him doing an interview, that during oral arguments before the court, he tried to stress that putting hundreds of pages of detailed billing records before the jury would do nothing to help them determine what the, if the costs were reasonable and necessary because it's not what they do. They're just a jury that came in to do this case. But he said the ruling was about as painless as possible because he kept detailed contemporary billing records and now we'll just have to present those, which were already prepared produced in discovery to the other side to the trial court. The reality is this is a conservative court and they don't like to award attorney's fees with limited proof. We had a strong suspicion that the court was going to start rewarding requiring more than the Arthur Anderson factors but for anyone who keeps billing records it's not an issue. So um, uh, so the bottom line here was that that they they did have the records and if it was remanded to trial like this one was, he just had to go back now with more expense and more payments to them to produce them. But they didn't, this didn't come out into this, this Supreme Court. Here, um, uh, dic- it wasn't even dicta, actual Supreme Court holding mm-hmm. that, that had to happen until uh, very specifically this year. Um, it says, and in that case is Rormos? I think that was Rormos. Yeah, in 2019. Mm-hmm. It says, citing the Rormos ruling, the court also decided another case. This is still Texas Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. In that dispute, attorney Richard Shira represented Daniel Barnett in a lawsuit brought by Kirkland Realty Group, a lot of land cases, in 2001 that ended in a settlement agreement. Okay, so this didn't even go all the way to court. Okay. Uh, Shiro then sued to recover from Barnett the $183,000 in unpaid legal fees which the jury awarded him so i guess they went to the jury and they and, gave it to him and they must have they must have settled after an appeal was filed mm-hmm. so the jury gave them this amount of money Sh- uh, shiro also sought reasonable attorney's fees and costs in the suit, and the jury awarded him one hundred thirty-one thousand. so they were kind of offset right mm-hmm. uh, barnett appealed arguing there was insufficient evidence that award of fees and cost and the lower appellate court affirmed the ruling but the Texas Supreme Court reversed the ruling and sent the case back to the trial court to redetermine what fees should be awarded in light of the holding in Rormos. Hmm. Um, 
It says uh, Charles McGarry of the law office of Charles McGarry, who represents Barnett, told Law 360 he'll likely ask the Texas Supreme Court for rehearing because part of his argument was that the court should have rendered judgment in his favor rather than send it back to the trial court. So there's still a lot of arguments. The both sides thought they both should have won. They thought that I don't know what the case was about, but both thought they had a decent case. Mm-hmm. And on appeal, they don't want to. They settled, but now they're going to try to, it looks like, undo the settlement, which is really difficult because it's hard to undo a contractual settlement because settlement agreements are viewed as contracts. Right. So um, almost makes you not want to settle if you get stuck that way. So according to the court documents in the lease dispute between Roramos and um, University of Texas uh, Southwest, a jury found both parties breached the lease, is what happened, but that Roramos had breached it first. As the prevailing part of the jury awarded U.S. Uh, Southwest, the uh, U- University of Texas, $800,000 in fees and a conditional $150,000 for representation of the court appeals and $75,000 for representation of the Supreme Court, uh, totaling a little more than a million dollars. On appeal, Rormos argued that the evidence wasn't sufficient to support that total, but the lower court disagreed and upheld the award. On appeal to the Texas Supreme Court, uh, Rormos again challenged the sufficiency of the evidence and argued that UT wasn't actually a prevailing party since the jury found for both parties uh, that both parties had breached the lease and therefore was entitled fees. In its opinion, so this is this is a final you know thought here or, or holding. Uh, the Texas Supreme Court held that. The uh, UT, uh, uh, University of Texas Southwest, was a prevailing party in the lawsuit because it successfully defended against a counterclaim from Roar Moose seeking $250,000 in unpaid rent. So it was a rental issue. Uh, the cases uh, were, and they, they've cited, uh, they've actually cited the case of the Supreme Court. One is uh, uh, 16-0006, if you want to look it up. Really easy to look online for Texas Supreme Court cases. The other is uh, Supreme Court case 18-0278. So that was the one that came out in, um, the, the Shiro case is the one that came out in 2019. But uh, that, that case had a lot to do with really, really big attorney's fees. But this goes to all attorney's fees. If you don't get your attorney's fees in there somehow, but you're by affidavit or through discovery or something where you can show, then then if you're the prevailing party, you're out of luck. So... Um, that's terrible. So that's how attorney's fees work. You've mm-hmm. got to, we've told you, you have to argue them. You have to plead for them. There has to be a an actual uh, a, a statute that provides that you get them. They're not automatic. Um, uh, if, you're, if your attorney, uh, if you go to your attorney and say, you know you can get these, and your attorney says, no, I can't, then then they should know whether or not they can get the attorney's fees or not, mm-hmm. certainly. And uh, contingency cases are very different. They don't get paid until it pays out. But if you got these guys that do the the camera and, you know, like my good friend Brian White, people that do personal injury mm-hmm. as a, for a living, mm-hmm. then that's what they do because they know that uh, they know what they're doing. They can analyze your case to determine whether or not they're going to take the case. If they take it, more, I don't want to say more likely than not, but if they take the case, they know they're only going to get paid if they win. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're taking the case and they get paid at the end. But because most family law cases really win. shouldn't be take, taken by on contingency at all because it does, that gives you the incentive to settle for the wrong reasons. Well, right. That goes against our public policy, you know. So anyway, okay, well, okay, Tony and I have been here today talking about attorney's fees. We hope you guys have learned something. We want to uh, let you know that you can download us tomorrow on Google Play or iTunes, and you can listen to the podcast. And we want to remind you to serve God by serving others. Have a great week. Mm